Hey everyone, it's Jim Warren, Jimbo, from the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast and Live Digging Deeper Cafes. First, I want to welcome you to the 2021 Summer of Review. Weekly throughout this summer, I will add one of the 21 episodes of the podcast we have already published. Why? Well, many of you may not have heard the most important ones. Others of you may need a review. Some of you may be joining us for the first time. If so, hang on, it's a wild ride. Then, each Sunday evening, I will add the Digging Deeper Cafe, where we discuss the episode you just reviewed. Next, I want to let you know that we will be back in September with brand new episodes of both the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast and the Digging Deeper Cafe. Finally, please let this summer be a time where your life honors and glorifies your Father through the faith that produces obedience. Settle for nothing less. Why? Father settles for nothing less. So here we go with this week's review of one of the most important episodes of the Hello Jimbo Speaking Podcast. Let's get radical. Hello, Jimbo speaking. Welcome to our weekly listener-supported Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Today, Jimbo will be sharing another one of his super impactful stories from the front lines of ministry, the next provocative installment of Inside Jimbo's Head, and a brand new Laugh with a Punch one-minute comedy sketch from Lifeline Productions. Hey Jimbo, why don't you fill in our listeners with the details? Okay, Riri. Today I find that many people working with the youth and young adults with whom I minister come from a position of professionalism. Now, while I believe there is a place for professional help with many of them, and I do think professionals need to approach their relationship with these youth and young adults with professional boundaries, I do not think ministry should be done using professional boundaries. I believe authentic Christian ministry is something I call invested ministry. When you follow that approach, you open yourself to pain. I call it a heart that bleeds. And that is the name of this week's story from the front lines of ministry, A Heart That Bleeds. Then we are going to have a good laugh, but I also hope an impactful laugh when Frontline Productions brings another incident in the life of Amazing Alan. You could say this is an explosive skit. Finally, we will finish our Cultural Christianity segment of our present series, Cultural Christianity versus Kingdom Christianity, with a final look at answering the question, what is cultural Christianity? In this final installment, we will look at our last two aspects of the American culture that have permeated contemporary Christianity, pragmatism and independence. I will also add some summary thoughts on our question of the day before we move on to the next segment, What is Kingdom Christianity Next Week? Well, that about sums it up, Riri. Wow, uh, hey, you know... I haven't seen Hershimer around anywhere today. So, before he shows up and really messes things up, I guess you ought to get us started. Okay, Jimbo. As I said before, folks, this is the listener-supported Hello, Jimbo Speaking podcast. Your host is Jim Warren, author, motivational speaker, pastor, teacher, high-risk youth advocate, and life coach. 
But most of all, he's an all-around wild and crazy guy. So, without any further ado, from behind a cheap microphone in the dynamic life development studios in the thriving metropolis of Wheatfield, Indiana. Okay, I guess if you count all the heads of corn and soybeans, you can call it a thriving metropolis. Here's Jimbo! thing you all should know about Wheatfield, Indiana. Well, there ain't no wheat in Wheatfield anymore. There ain't no wheat in Wheatfield anymore. We got soybeans, we got corn, but last I'm so forlorn, cause we ain't got wheat in Wheatfield anymore. Well, ooh, oh, so sorry, folks. Just a little ditty I came up with one day driving into Wheatfield. Sometimes I just can't help myself. The worst part? You had to listen to that. So, let's get down to business. I've got today's story from the front lines of ministry all queued up. But first, I want to let you know that Riri will be introducing you to the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast website at jimbospeaking.org. Also, please remember to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a message if you like, and consider the benefits of supporting us. 100% of all funds go through the Robert Anthony West Memorial Fund, which supports my direct costs in working with higher-risk disconnected youth and young adults. Speaking of that, I sure do hope you enjoyed the last episode of Launch Week, Episode 5. When I recorded the Robert West story, I thought I was over the loss of Robert. But just putting that episode together, well, it caused a few lumps to develop in my throat and not a few tears to form in my eyes. That happens from time to time, but when it does, it just strengthens my resolve to keep on keeping on with the young people Father places in my care. I am so thankful for Robert. I keep a picture of him on my desk, again, to just keep me keeping on. Oh yes, tears. On this story from the front lines of ministry, I will share with you some of the hard situations I hear about in the lives of the youth and young adults I minister to. Often, they usually bring a tear to my eyes. Yet, as you heard in Robert's story, just as often they show the kids just how much I care. It is then that I am thankful that Father keeps my heart soft. Sometimes it even bleeds. That is the title of this week's story from the front lines of ministry, A Heart That Bleeds. Hey, welcome back. Sorry for the humor there, because this is a very serious story. You know, I was at a juvenile detention center for over three hours one Sunday. 
No, I didn't hold my classes that long. That day, two young ladies asked to talk with me after class. I spent an hour and a half listening to two very difficult and painful stories, one at a time. Over the years, I have had a working hypothesis that only 50% of what these youth tell me is true. This is always true on my first individual visit. But that day, if only 10% of their stories were true. When I finished each of the visits, each young lady asked me to come back during the week. That next Tuesday and Thursday found me sitting, listening, and praying with them. However, when I got in my car that Sunday afternoon, I sat there like a deer in headlights. You would think, after over 30 years of ministry with troubled youth, a jaded heart would reside in my chest. You see, my friends, that Sunday I listened and prayed individually with two 16-year-old girls, both of them pregnant. That Sunday I heard stories of physical and emotional abuse, as well as abandonment. That Sunday, I heard how one of the 16-year-old girls was pregnant by a 25-year-old man. That was serious enough. But I also learned mom signed an affidavit with the police that allowed them to be together. That's right. Mom said yes to her 16-year-old girl living with a 25-year-old man. Get this. They lived with mom in her home. The only expectation was that he was never to beat her. But it went on. That Sunday, I heard of one family where dad is in a county lockup, mom just got out, and an older brother has warrants out for his arrest. That Sunday, I saw a young pregnant girl cry when I offered for my wife Tracy and I to serve as mentors. I promised that if she wanted our help through her pregnancy and in helping her care for her child, we would be available to her. No one cares like that, Jimbo. No one. You don't even know me. You must want something out of this. I assured her we wanted nothing but to see her and her baby to thrive. That Sunday, as I sat with the other girl listening to her story, my eyes filled with tears. Jimbo, you okay? Why are you crying? I apologized and told her old men always cry when they hear sad stories. Sad stories? This is how everyone lives today, Jimbo. I assured her that there was a far different life out there for her and her baby, but she had to want it. Please come back and help me, Jimbo, were the final words I heard as we left the visitation room. Now, when I got into my car, I sat there crying like a baby. You would think I would get used to these stories by now. I have heard it all far too many times. I had a Christian friend who worked with these kids as a professional. You need to set professional boundaries with these kids, Jim. That's what he would say, always reminding me of professional boundaries. I would smile and ask if the attitude of Jesus was the attitude of a professional with boundaries. When he emptied himself, came as a servant, identified with us, and obediently went to the cross, where were the professional boundaries? You see, my friends, I know many who have set professional boundaries with these kids. Nothing moves them anymore. In their chest beat jaded hearts. But me? All I can say is that I am thankful for the grace of God that allows my heart to bleed. I am so thankful, though often teary-eyed, that he has taught me that the attitude of Jesus sets no boundaries on our love and involvement in people's lives. 
back in a moment. Looking for a powerful story that doesn't take long to read? Looking for a different perspective on Christian leadership and ministry? If so, The Day the Shepherd Died is just the book for you. Thoughts ran through my mind about what I had become. I knew if I continued in this new way, the way of a shepherd turned CEO, I would never hear the words of the chief shepherd again. They were words that moved me deep in my soul. I would never hear again the words of the chief shepherd that moved me in ways nothing had moved me before. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Many times I heard those words from the chief shepherd. Many times I heard them as I followed him as a shepherd. Never again would they be spoken in my direction. Unless... Jim Warren, the author of The Day the Shepherd Died, questioned if he would ever hear those words again. It all started many years ago. Jim had discovered how to impact the lives of troubled youth. It was simple, be with them. But soon, he became entrenched in the whirlwind of building an organization. Soon, his passion for the organization outstriped his passion for the kids. You see, Jim had spent many years learning modern business practices, such as strategic planning, vision and mission statements, and administrative processes. Soon, that was where his focus turned. Over the years, Jim would ask others in vocational Christian leadership why they got started. Most replied they felt called because of a love God had placed in their lives for people. Then he would ask them, so how much time, outside of meetings, do you spend with individual people who are not other staff members? Most would hang their heads. They would tell him there never was enough time between sermon preparation, staff meetings, and committee meetings. Then he would ask how they helped people learn to shepherd one another. Most would talk about Bible studies and sermons they had developed. Jim has written this story for another book he is finishing. However, some trusted friends asked him to put it out as a single book in 2017. Jim rewrote this new edition in the first person, making this little book even more powerful than before. To further increase its power, you will find some very interesting illustrations which help bring the story to life. While still a short book, those who have read it have found it profoundly powerful and persuading. It is Jim's prayer that this short story will help all followers of Jesus rethink. It is Jim's prayer it will help all followers of Jesus to reevaluate. It is Jim's prayer that this short story will bring healing to the shepherds and the flock. It is Jim's prayer it will turn back the clock, but not to an earlier era of the modern church. It is Jim's prayer that this short story will help turn back the clock to the ministry and process of the chief shepherd of the sheep. You can find The Day the Shepherd Died at dldpublishing.com along with all Jim's other books. And please remember, all profits from this book, as well as all Jim's books, go directly to fund his ministry to disconnected, higher-risk youth. So please, click your way over to dldpublishing.com and not only get a book with not only a great story, but one which may just cause a tear to form in your eye.
To illustrate the problem of going through life without God, Amazing Alan will attempt to disarm this bomb without a manual. Not to worry, guys. Everyone knows you always cut the red wire. Okay, Alan. Everyone behind the cement walls and action. Yellow, green, blue. Uh, guys, there's no red wire. What do I do? Whatever feels right, Alan. Whatever feels right? Just do what's right for you, Alan. Well, if I would have designed this bomb, I would have put in a red wire. That's the point, Alan. We didn't design life either. That's why we need God. Aha! Here's a red wire. I knew I could do this on my own. The Bible is our owner's manual. It gives us practical instruction on how to live life. There's got to be a better way to make these points, guys. Another message from Lifeline Productions, the comic strip of radio at lifelinepro.com. All right now. Let's get down to some very serious business. Not that the story from the front lines of ministry wasn't serious, nor the one-minute laugh with a punch skit about another one of Amazing Alan's botched-up commercial shoots. Speaking of those two segments, I believe the most important lesson we can walk away with pertaining to our study on cultural Christianity versus kingdom Christianity is the need for a heart that bleeds or, more specifically, a very soft, tender heart towards God, His Word, and what He requires of us as His children. I am so thankful for the grace of God, which has allowed my heart to stay soft and even bleed for the youth and young adults I minister to every week. I know it is only by His undeserved favor that this kind of heart has stayed with me for over 30 years of this kind of ministry. I also know it is only through God's grace that you and I can move beyond cultural Christianity and into authentic kingdom Christianity. However, I must confess just how difficult it was for me when Father began to reveal how our basic American culture has been received with open arms into our American church culture, leading to many, if not all, the problems we talked about in episode one. Houston, we have a problem. By the way, you and I both ought to listen to that episode several times as we proceed with this series in order to keep the context and need for these lessons in the forefront of our hearts and minds. Now, when you struggle with these things, I have a good idea of how that feels, for I had to struggle with those same feelings and fears, even bouts of anger. But the historical facts are historical facts, no matter how people on either side of the fence try to spin them. And the results of conventional American Christianity even, and especially American evangelicalism, are the results, like them or not. The heart I first had as I began to understand these things was anything but a soft heart. Thank God for the never-ending, undeserved work of the Holy Spirit. The fact that you are still listening to these podcasts is evidence of that same work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. The things we have looked at in answering the question, what is cultural Christianity, are hard. No, I must say they are terrifically trying and testing for those of us who have grown up in America and the American church. 
I have said throughout these episodes, I'm sure these realities have shaken you to your foundational beliefs as an American and as a Christian aligned with the conventional Christian church in this country. You see, my friends, here is where having and maintaining a soft heart towards the truth is so important for us to be able to glorify Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit through a victorious life lived conformed to the image of Jesus. Oh, and how about Amazing Allen's blow-up today? How did you respond when you heard the announcer's explanation of that Frontline production skit? Most of us, especially in evangelical tradition, often when we hear someone talking about needing God, immediately we begin to think about people outside of Christ. They are the ones that need Christ. I have him living right here in my heart. But there is an underlying problem with that kind of thinking. Often, we in the church, though we rarely admit it to ourselves and especially not to others, live our lives by what feels right or whatever works best for us. By the way, that whatever works best for us is a byproduct of pragmatism, which is a part of the American culture. We'll be talking about that today. Those concepts, whatever works best for us and whatever feels right, run contrary to everything spoken in the New Covenant and the way the Holy Spirit leads and guides His people. Yet the proof of how deep our American cultural thinking and behavioral patterns run through our redeemed lives happens every time we read scriptures where Jesus and His first followers speak of things contrary to our American cultural beliefs. What happens? We regularly either ignore those points or try to explain them away. Often, we can find another scripture that seems to fit better with our American way of life. We emphasize that one over the one that speaks directly against such things. Then we begin to logically explain away the first while basing our theology and doctrine on the second. That is one of the problems inherently found in trying to systematize Scripture rather than accepting each Scripture within its immediate context as truth and internalizing it through meditation and faith-produced obedience, no matter what it speaks against or tells us to do. If we have faith, authentic faith that produces obedience, we have no other way to respond even when these things run contrary to our native culture. I spoke about how we should approach scriptural truth in the last episode of Inside Jimbo's Head. We will get deeper into this when we talk about how culturized Christianity deals with scripture as compared to how those living kingdom Christianity's way of life approach scripture. That episode will not come soon enough. You see, my friends, when the announcer told Amazing Alan that we did not design life, and that is why we need God and His Word, we, who are in Christ, must internalize the fact that God designed His kingdom and how He rules in that kingdom. We did not nor did the American Founding Fathers. In fact, as we saw in an earlier episode, they basically ignored Father's principles other than those dealing with what they reasoned to be a revelation for moral living. Oh, by the way, so did those who were the famous revolutionary preachers of the day. 
This is why we must not confuse God's design with that of the Founding Fathers. No matter how great a country, economic system, or system of governance they designed, we are now in a new kingdom, under a new economic system, and governed by a new system of governance. This is the kingdom culture into which we have all been translated at our moment of regeneration. This is why God's word and the commands made to those of us in the church must be followed without question or any concern for the results. After all, Father is not a prideful, pretentious potentate looking to harm us to further his purposes, but a benevolent Father whose love is focused on us as he meets our basic needs while we live in the reality of being soldiers in his kingdom, promoting his purpose and protocols. All of this comes into play as we begin to speak about the pragmatism and independence inherent in the American culture and how they negate the realities of the kingdom culture. And that, my friend, is exactly what we are about to do. Two more areas of the American culture I would like us to look at before we move on. These have seeped into American Christianity. No, in all honesty, I really must insist that they have been welcomed with open arms into American Christianity. These, along with the others we looked at in the last episode, have destroyed our lives, our witness, and our ability to minister to one another and those outside the body of Christ. The first of these last two aspects of the American culture we will look at in this series is pragmatism. In dealing with this aspect of the American culture, I would like to share a series of quotes from the book Uncompromised Faith, Overcoming Our Culturized Christianity by S. Michael Craven. I mean, why redo what Craven so clearly and perfectly describes in his book? By the way, I will parenthetically define a word or two as we read through these quotes. We find ourselves living in a cultural context in which the majesty and radical reality of God's amazing grace has been subdued, culturized, and rendered largely impotent. In other words, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 2 Timothy 3.5 It is safe to say that evangelical Christianity is in a pathetic state of decadence and decline in the West. It is, to a large degree, fragmented, watered down, and retreating from relevancy. Many today follow the modernistic impulse that compels them to ultimately trust first in technology, the ingenuity of man, human reason, and the false assumption that progress is perpetual and ever upward. Modernism poists, assumes as a fact, that man through his own reason, ability, and ingenuity can perfect himself and that human progress is perpetual and ever upward. 
Our reliance on the tools and resources of modernity, the ideas and outcomes of modernistic thought, can and often does encourage and maintain our dependence upon the things of this world, those things we have trusted in all along. Our perspective remains horizontal, focused on the world, and seldom rises to an appropriate vertical focus on God. We rarely come to experience or seek after radical dependency upon Christ. How many of us actually live by faith, even in the slightest sense? When was the last time any of us was compelled to utterly trust in the Lord for our daily bread? Do any of us stand on the brink of starvation? Do we risk our lives in the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ? Don't we often claim martyr status when we suffer social persecution, as if that is to be compared with real persecution? Honestly, don't we really trust first in our jobs, the power company, modern medicine, the economic establishment, civilization, the order promised by government, technology, and so forth? In other words, we're trusting in the tools of modernity, and this is what produces such great fear in us when these fail us. When was the last time we responded to a call upon our hearts to do something that seemed irrational or was contrary to normalcy in obedience to God? Don't we privately believe and ultimately live as if God no longer calls people to the same level of radical and often irrational obedience described in Hebrews 11? And therefore, we no longer expect, or perhaps more accurately, no longer want this kind of call. So we do not listen nor invite God to us in such a radical way. Huh, great quotes, huh? I find it refreshing that another author sees what's going on in American evangelicalism from a similar perspective as mine. For what it's worth, Craven is not the only one. However, the quotes from his book, which I just read to you, do a great job of explaining the pragmatism of the American culture and its results when associated with Christianity. There are two general results of pragmatism I would like to speak about. The first is the move from seeking what is true to seeking what works. While the rationalists who made up the American Founding Fathers sought truth, their dependency upon rationalistic thinking over revelation found them falling into this trap. Now, as it happened, in the founding of a country and the establishment of a culture, that was not a big problem. It was not only not a problem, but it served them well in putting together one of the, if not the most successful forms of governance the world has seen. Today, this same pragmatism and focus on what works has made unbelievable strides in our economy, the medical world, the business world, and many other institutions that keep the engine of Americanism chugging along. Frankly, America is successful, and focusing on what works has paid huge dividends to most citizens of this country. You may find yourself agreeing with that statement and then hear a question forming in the back of your mind. If it worked so well for this great country, why would it not work for the church? It couldn't cause that big of a problem. After all, the church is basically an organization run on business principles. Well, my friend, if that question and statement or even anything similar to them even began to form in your mind, I rest my case. 
The success of America and American pragmatism is what makes it so hard to recognize there is a different, antithetical, and even higher way of approaching our lives in Christ. However, pragmatism and seeking what works is one of the main driving forces behind modern conventional American Christianity and why, Houston, we have a problem. It is also why many, if not most, refuse to move beyond our present ways of living in Christ and ministering to one another, as well as those that are outside of Christ. It seems to be working. Unless you get serious about what the results should be and stop making excuses why we can't live the way the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures, demand us to live. So, what is the answer? First, each of us must realize that the church does not have to be established. Frankly, it does not even have to be built. It was established by Jesus, and he is the one who will build his church, Matthew 16, 18. He set the rules and the processes as well as the culture of the kingdom. Not you, not me, not rationalistic reasoning. He and he alone is the foundation and the builder of his church the kingdom of God. Secondly, we have already seen that when it comes to the unique aspects of the church, the results of looking at what works rather than what is true have been disastrous. When we look at how the American church, yes, even and especially the evangelical church, seeks to fulfill its mission, we find this is the underlying principle being used to make the church relevant and thus grow. Now, let me point out that the church was never meant to be relevant. It was meant to be radical. That's our first big mistake from letting pragmatism, rationalism, and individualism become our basis of thought concerning the church and our mission. We will take a deeper look at this statement when we discuss how Christians and the church should relate to their native culture. One other big mistake is when we think pragmatically about how to accomplish our mission in the church and forget the principles and processes taught in Scripture through teaching, command, and example. Our approach, while somewhat more subtle, is no different than the theistic rationalists who believed their reason was to establish what was true revelation. Today, we simply change that slightly. What we are actually saying is that our rationalism allows us to determine what part of revelation is meant for us today, especially concerning the processes used by Jesus in the early church. We believe the examples through which God teaches us were cultural realities rather than the revealed pattern of God's kingdom ways. The last point I want to make about seeking what works versus seeking the truth is to simply look at the results of seeking what works. We have taken on a 21st century business model of organizational development, which has replaced and thus destroyed authentic community and communion. Frankly, the destruction of authentic community and communion is true in contemporary American Christianity both horizontally and vertically. Without the vertical, the horizontal will never happen. We have taken on a 21st century educational model, leaving Jesus' lifestyle model of discipleship as something only for those from the antiquities. Of course, we often ignore this by saying, we don't have enough time in our culture to accomplish this. Now, what cultural standards are we to be living by? 
What is it that fills our time, sapping our energy and resources? I guarantee you it is not kingdom principles or processes. Often, we have traded spiritual power and processes for political power and processes. We still live as though the power over of political power is more effective than the power under of servanthood, as exemplified and taught by Jesus. Actually, the only place he exerted power over was with religious leaders who refused to recognize their blind obedience to the traditions of men. Hmm, that should make us think a little. As I have stated before, we focus more on debating truth than internalizing it, while our concepts of money come right out of the American economic system's playbook. Finally, we approach Scripture from a pure rationalistic intellectualism rather than internalizing Scripture and then living walking in the Spirit. When was the last time you heard a major evangelical teacher, or your pastor for that matter, speak about living walking in the Spirit? We will be going through each of these in a very in-depth manner in the final round of episodes in our present series, Cultural Christianity versus Kingdom Christianity. So, stay tuned. This is going to get exciting, uh, and even more controversial. The second major result flowing out of American pragmatism may be, by this point, obvious. Pragmatism always reduces the importance of spirituality and the mysticism of biblical Christianity. Now, if you're having a problem with the term mysticism, I have once again proven my point. When pragmatism is joined with rationalism, the loss of spirituality is the result. Listen to these statements from Scripture. By the way, all of these passages are from the English Standard Version of the Bible. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent them. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. John 17, 20-22a. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4-6 That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know or comprehend what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Ephesians 1, 17-19a. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians three nineteen. All of these passages, and there are many more, point to things that are beyond human reason. Thus, they are mystical. Here is how the Oxford Dictionary defines mysticism. Believe that union with or absorption into the deity or the absolute, 
or the spiritual apprehension of knowledge inaccessible to the intellect may be attained through contemplation and self-surrender. Now, my friends, you will soon learn that contemplation is just as much a part of biblical teaching as the Trinity. Speaking of mysticism, self-surrender? There is not an evangelical preacher who is worth his or her salt who has not preached about self-surrender. In fact, Just listen to the good old hymns of the church. But look at the above passages. If being one with the Father and the Son in the same manner they are one with each other, if being seated in heavenly places, if being in Christ, if being given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him which allows our eyes and hearts to be enlightened so that we may comprehend the things of God, And if knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and being filled with all the fullness of God is not mysticism, well, the Oxford Dictionary needs to change its definition. Oh, we can give a good rational definition to all these things, and as such, we think we understand them and sometimes even believe we have them because we can explain them intellectually. Of course, the logical, rational answers given to these things, like a church universal, or positional theology, or even the excuse that these things are mystery, only proves that mysticism is alive and well in the church. Why? Each of these answers is just as mystical as the passages interpreted by theologians in a rational, logical manner. Yet, When we get right down to it, and these mystical elements of biblical teaching seem way too far-fetched, the rationalist simply says, well, we all know these things really can't take place in this age. All these things will take place in heaven or when Jesus returns. What a cop-out. The context of all these passages is about things that are to happen in this age, the church age. And I have not even brought up yet the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Let's take this pragmatic rationalism one step further. Watch out. I might go from teaching to meddling. Here is a question. When was the last time you saw a business meeting or goal-setting meeting in your church turn into a night of seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting? Oh, we have our required prayer at the beginning and the end of those meetings, but then we turn to pragmatic discussion based on rationalistic intellectualism and good business sense. Here's a good one. How much time do you think the elders in your church spend in prayer? How about your pastor? The average pastor only prays 30 minutes each day, and 37% are dissatisfied with their prayer life. If I only prayed 30 minutes each day, I would be dissatisfied with my prayer life. And I was for many of my almost 50 years of walking with the Lord. And then there is Bible study. When was the last time you and those in your Bible study have prayed over a particular scripture or series of scripture, seeking the Lord to make his word real in your life? When was the last time you sought God's face through praise and thanksgiving before you started and throughout your study of Scripture? Once again, we have someone pray us in and pray us out, but come on. Only a pragmatic rationalist could believe our intellectual processes are the only things needed when it comes to an understanding and an internalization of the Word of God. And worship, seeking the conscious recognition of the presence of the persons of the Trinity in a Bible study? 
You have to be kidding. What does that have to do with Bible study? If you recognize that doesn't happen in your group Bible study, guess what? It doesn't happen in Bible college classrooms or seminary classrooms either. Ever wonder why our leaders only lead us into this kind of rationalistic intellectual time together? Well, (laughs) I should more than likely get off this subject before you think I'm weirder than you already think I am. Of course, that is what we as Jesus followers are to be, uniquely different than all the people in our native culture. But hey, go ahead and argue that one. It will be fun to listen to you. Sorry. I just know there are many listeners to the podcast who would want to argue these points. Normally, they are the ones practicing the processes of and undergirding cultural Christianity. Well, here it comes. The most dearly held ideal or basic belief in the American culture. Independence. Even a quick read or any information on this subject will show that Americans think of freedom as freedom from tyranny, freedom from government interaction in their personal lives, and freedom to seek their dreams and desires. These are the basic American freedoms the American people cling to with all their might. You know what? As a person who grew up and finds his home in America, I am very thankful for these things. But is this what the kingdom, i.e. the biblical value of independence, is all about? Actually, Where is there a biblical value of independence as Americans think of independence in the New Covenant? If you find it, please let me know. The first church I pastored was anything but conventional. However, over time and through the influence of people, it took on more and more conventional attributes. Today, it is as conventional as they come. I was young and had much to learn, but I still feel bad that I allowed our uniqueness and what I consider a more biblical approach to our community and communion to dwindle away. After that, I became the pastor of a very conventional American evangelical church that belonged to a very conventional evangelical denomination. I gave up on those early ideals and put myself deep into the jaws of conventional Christian life and practice. One thing really bothered me. Okay, many things bothered me, but this one is most pertinent to our discussion. The small church I pastored was very involved in the community celebration of all the American holidays. Often, I was asked to share a few words at these times. Now, anyone who knows me knows how hard it is for me to speak only a few words. However, at these events, it was easy. As hard as I tried, I could find little biblical basis for the way Americans look at independence. The freedom I saw focused on in the new covenant established by Jesus was freedom from the guilt of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and a new freedom to live a redeemed purpose which had been lost in sin. In fact, I found little to nothing in the new covenant about political freedom or causes and even less on personal freedom for those who have been translated into the kingdom of God. So, what did I do? I decided to pick my fights wisely, something I gave up on long ago, and gave them the platitudes they desired while talking about how much love it took for people to lay down their lives or give their time for our benefit. Was I wrong about independence, i.e. freedom in the new covenant? No, 
I left that ministry nearly 35 years ago. Over those years, I have studied the new covenant God has made with us inside and out. I still hold on to what I saw in Scripture back then, but some things have changed. I no longer pick my fights wisely. Neither did Jesus. I am also now more committed to living, teaching, and preaching the radical realities of the kingdom of God and let the chips fall where they may. So did Jesus. If you haven't figured that one out about me, well, (laughs) I need to quickly finish this American ideal. So allow me to say this one thing. If you are in Christ, if you are a child of God raised to the position of son in his kingdom, if you have been translated out of the kingdom and kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God, you have more freedoms than you ever had as a citizen of the United States of America. Here is the great news. These freedoms last for all eternity. You have been set free from the guilt of sin so you can live in a full, complete, intimate, experiential relationship with the creator of this cosmos. You have been set free from the power of sin so that you can live conformed to the image of Jesus, bringing honor and glory to your Father and the one who set you free. You have a redeemed purpose which was lost through sin and has now been restored to you and those with whom you live in the fellowship of community and communion. However, there is one key and only one key to participate in these freedoms. Your attitude and thus your lifestyle must be the same as that of Jesus. What was his attitude that led to his lifestyle? Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped unto, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, specifically a willing slave. He identified with us and became obedient unto death, even a humiliating death on a cross. The key to kingdom freedom, the freedom that transforms your life and that lasts through eternity, is emptying ourselves of our rights and freedoms and becoming a willing slave to Father. Okay, servant, if that makes you feel better. Wow, why would anyone want to stop standing up for their own rights and freedoms and become a slave? First, look at who you yield yourself to as slaves. Second, look at the results. Freedom, True freedom from all that holds us down from the desire that lives in everyone who has heard Jesus' invitation to enter his life and his world and gladly accepted that invitation. Did you enter through faith? Faith that produces what? Obedience. Wow. Freedom through self-emptying, self-sacrificial servanthood leading to obedience. Boy, does that ever turn our native cultural ideas on their head. As usual, there is much more to cover in this area, but we will talk about some of it in future episodes, and of course, we will get the deepest at the DLD University when it is launched. But I would like to take a few minutes and summarize in some brief statements our answer to what is cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is what happens when Christians and church leaders believe becoming a Christian is all about going to heaven and not being disciples focused on a commitment to the kingdom of God. 
cultural Christianity is what happens when Christians do not recognize that when they accept Christ's invitation to enter into him and his world, they are totally transferred out of their native culture and into a new culture, the kingdom of God culture. Cultural Christianity is what happens when Christians do not recognize that repentance has not only to do with sin, but the very ideals and processes from their native culture that stand opposed to the ideals and processes of the kingdom of God. Cultural Christianity happens when church leaders substitute their native cultural ideals, basic beliefs, and processes that undercut or take the place of the ideals, basic beliefs, and processes laid out in the New Covenant, i.e. the Constitution of the Kingdom of God. Cultural Christianity happens when both Christians and their church leaders do not realize that every time throughout history, when the church has taken on the native culture of those around them and or hold hands with government, no matter how good or bad that government might seem in the natural world, the church fails. Christians and their leaders stay in cultural Christianity because it seems so comfortable and so right because it is what they were used to before they were born into the kingdom of God. The reason American cultural ideals and processes destroy both individual Christians and their fellowship of community and communion is that it takes away from the spirituality of being in Christ and replaces it with a rational, pragmatic, false, and lesser form of Christianity that accentuates the individual and leads to a cheap substitute for the independence that transforms in this age and lasts through all eternity. All of this is exacerbated by not recognizing that we are in this world, but not of this world, nor its implications as seen in the life of Jesus and his first followers. This is one of the most basic, simple teachings of Jesus on Christian living. When I was a rebellious young man, I was told something very profound by one of my instructors. Any radical can point out what is wrong, but a true agent of change leads towards what is right. Today, I only change one word to that statement. Any radical can point out what is wrong, but a true agent of change leads towards what is true. Frankly, our trip through the maze I created in trying to answer our question of the day has taken much longer and far more episodes than I ever planned. During that trip, we focused on what is wrong with conventional Christianity. I'm sure that got old. But the purpose of these podcasts is to set in motion the radical redirection of relational realities required for the revitalization of conventional Christianity, its citizens and communities, one person at a time. So now, sound the trumpet. We are going to turn our attention to what is true. Starting in the next episode, I will begin to introduce you to the concept of the kingdom of God as we answer the question, what is kingdom Christianity? The name of that episode will be, Kingdom Christianity Works. Want proof? We will be looking at the fastest growing national church movement in the world. You won't believe where this is happening. So, as I usually do, let me simply remind you to please subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button and financially support my ministry to disconnected higher-risk youth and young adults by clicking the support button. 
If you want to record a question or message to me, please click the message button or stop by our website at www.jimbospeaking.org. That's one word, all lower cases, www.jimbospeaking.org. Or you can also find transcripts of each of the episodes of Inside Jimbo's Head on that website as well. So, right now, I want each of you, my friends, to go out there and by God's grace, make it a great week that honors and glorifies Him. See you next week. Hey, it's Riri coming back at you. Before we sign off, I have just a few announcements. Oh, and Hershimer may stick his little head in here somewhere along the way. Please subscribe to this podcast today and become a part of the Jimbo Nation by setting up a monthly donation of only 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Remember, if you choose the $9.99 monthly donation, you will get a 75% discount on everything at DLDU, including a lifetime membership. If you wait until after DLDU launches, that discount will drop to 33%. Plus, this week's DLD publishing special is on Jim's book, The Day the Shepherd Died, First Person, Illustrated Edition. If you subscribe and support at the $9.99 option, Jimbo will send you a code for a whopping 33% discount on this already discounted book. While this is a short story, it is one that will make a massive impact on your life as you minister to others. You can pick it up at dldpublishing.com. But hey, if you choose to support, whether or not you use a discount, you will be helping Jimbo make a huge difference in the life of some very hurting and misdirected young people. You know, the ones you hear about each week in the Stories from the Front Lines of Ministry segment. So it really is worth every penny you use to support Jimbo's ministry through the Robert Anthony West Fund, which Jimbo told you about in Robert's story from episode 5. Also, I wanted to let you know about the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast website, jimbospeaking.org. That's all lowercase letters, J-I-M-B-O-S-P-E-A-K-I-N-G dot org. There, you can find past episodes of the Hello Jimbo Speaking podcast to download, transcripts of each Inside Jimbo's Head, a place to leave a written comment to Jimbo, as well as a place to support Jimbo's ministry to high-risk, disconnected youth and young adults. You can also sign up for a weekly sneak preview of that week's new Inside Jimbo's Head. So drop on over to jimbospeaking.org and check it out. Finally, please don't forget, Next week, Jimbo will be back with another story from the front lines of ministry, a one-minute laugh-with-a-punch comedy skit from Lifeline Productions, and a new segment in the Cultural Christianity versus Kingdom Christianity series. So, until tomorrow... <sighs> hey, Riri! What is it, little buddy? Hershimer woke up! <sighs> Did Hershimer miss anything? Well, let's see, little buddy. Yes! You missed the entire podcast, but you still have time to sign off for us. <sighs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye! Goodbye!